Welcome to episode number six of the Future Co. podcast. In today's episode, I'm joined over Skype by Nicholas Madsen from Superlab, based out of Helsingborg, Sweden. Superlab is a company that develops and refines products, services, and organizations through research. The Superlab team recently published a book entitled Playful Office, which explores the nature of workplaces as well as the notion of play. From Nerf guns to the significance of color in the workplace, Superlab's novel approach to working culture and behaviors offer a great insight into the potential of what a regular day at the office could be like. So, to start things off, here is Nicholas. Yeah, my name is uh, Nicholas Madsen. And I'm the co-founder and CEO of uh, Superlabs in uh, Helsingborg, south of Sweden. And uh, my background is in uh, Bachelor's of Science in Industrial Design. And uh, I've also interior and architecture practical uh, uh, studies behind me. I would say Superlab today, we're a a mixture of traditional R&D company uh together with uh you know interior design and product development and we also have a research uh, department where uh, i should say more of a psychology research where we do reports and uh, uh to other clients of course and to ourselves uh, when we look into different things the majority of us have a design background um as i told you um might have you know my background as a product development, then we have a interior architect, and then is another one is a more of a conceptual designer. Um, you know, ten years of doing different concept, not only within like interior but also product development, marketing, all kinds of stuff, and and then we have a, a model maker also. Uh, 3D printer, model maker guy, whatever you could call him. You know, he, of course, he has a background as a carpenter, more like a, you know, fine Swedish traditional model making, you know, furniture making uh, style, but involved into, uh, you know, something of the newer level. And then we use a lot of uh, consultants that we have uh, part time psychologists, uh, you know, 3D, you know, not a programmer. It's more of a system developers of, you know, creating apps, uh, different platforms. So we have a lot of uh, uh, consultant that we use uh, in different products and, and projects uh, that we work with. Sure. And if you had to kind of define the business that you are in, as Superlab, what would you, what would, what would that be in a nutshell? What would be the business that you guys are in? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, because it's it's difficult. We, we we always try to explain that our company is more like a project, an ongoing project uh, that constantly develops. And uh, you know, one client comes with uh, an assignment, and we're like, "This is not what we're supposed to do." But what the hell? It sounds fun. Let's go for it. We are somewhat of a product and development company. But what we develop, it's not defined. Um, so it's an ongoing project for us. It's more like a big kindergarten where we, you know, get paid to have fun. It's difficult to explain what we do. Right. It's it's an experiment. It's a laboratory. You know. Yeah. 
Right, and then maybe we could dive into something that uh, was born under the name Superlab, but as I understood, I mean, I met you, Nicholas, a few weeks ago here in Helsinki, and uh, you held a brilliant talk about this uh, book that you guys have recently published called Playful Office. How much of the work that you guys do at Superlab was translated into that book, and how much of it was a personal ambition that you and your colleague, uh, who I also met, Jenny, here um, had together. How was the, what was the, the, the initial thinking behind the book? To take it from the start, basically uh, the, um, the philosophy of the book, Playful Office, you know, of, of playfulness at work, um, that started the whole uh, company, Superlab actually. So it all started with a, a psychology university and he was doing research regarding um you know what what interacts between people what creates playfulness during a meeting and he was looking into all kinds of behavioral change during a meeting and is it playfulness that can trigger things that uh, create if it's a good or a bad meeting and so he basically came to us and and started asking if we could help him because he knew we had been doing a lot of um interior design uh, changes within uh, the office sector for more than 10 years. Right. So we, we knew a lot about what really works out there. And also we had done a lot of uh, experiments and looked into all kinds of, uh, you know, is it uh, open space? You know, is it open planning that's working the best? Or is, is it an activity-based workplace? What, ty- what kind of types of... Um, work setup is the best one and so basically out of that the prod we, we decided to start a project that we called Superlab and so we actually had a co-working space here in our hometown that I did this design for uh, for 10 years ago and we had a conference room in there where we basically um, we did all our experiments and we called the experiment Superlab but then when companies started wanted to uh, employ Superlab, uh, we realized that, oh my God, maybe we have got, we're, maybe we're onto something here. Maybe we should start a company. So the core of Superlab, the company, is the book Playful Office. It's an it's a outcome of all our knowledge, all our expertise, all our know-how from years of doing office design that basically got uh, squeezed out to one book. Right. So... Uh, the book by itself, I mean, in our company, we have a philosophy that, that I explained when we saw each other also, that's called 60-40, where 60% of our time we put into client work and 40% of our time we put into our own initiated projects. And the, the book, we realized that we're sitting on so much interesting research, knowledge, and that we said we need to create this project. So we, we took like almost a year uh, to you know, we decided to write this book to put it into this this product that became a Playful Office, the book. Maybe we could dive a little bit deeper into the well. It's already hinted at in the title, but play itself. And I have a quote here that I found from the book, which is, "Play is letting go of the idea that things need to be done in a certain way." It sounds fantastic, but it also sounds like something that can go wrong. Exactly. How do you balance the, the two in a way that you assure that things do not go wrong, essentially? Well, it's, it's, it's like life, you know, it's, uh, 
you always say that the biggest joke is to let you plan your life, you know, and it, it never goes that way. And uh, it's the same thing with, uh, with play. It's all about um, exploiting. It's about uh, trying out new things and letting go. Uh, and, and, and actually being accepting that, you know, a failure is coming up. And it's okay to fail as, as long as you acknowledge that it, what happened during the failure, how can you become better? So uh, by, you know, by that sentence, it means that when you're playing, you need to let go and then not to be uh, constrained of, uh, you know, controlling the playfulness. And that is the whole meaning about when you're playing that, you know, when you're playing, you want to let go and let free and, and, and try out new things. And, and by acknowledging that you might fall. I mean, it's like when you were a kid, you're learning to ride a bike. You fell, you know, 100 times until the moment where you actually, you know, you know, managed to hold the balance on the bike and then you were biking. So the, the, the philosophy of the, the book and, you know, what the, the whole thing, what we're trying to say with it, it, it is okay to play and to explore and to try out learn from it and then get better what do you say to people who perhaps question question the notion of playfulness not being productive or it's somehow hindering productivity especially in a smaller organization where roles and people's everyday well yeah their everyday roles might be overlapping and there isn't any clearly defined boundaries or teams per se as you might have in larger corporations well the, i mean the book is is filled with research that that proven that uh, by in incorporating play into your ordinary daily work life it, it will only enhances uh, in you know your your work your your health your you know there's so many levels of it and and um, i mean it's one of those where we don't go we don't go out and, and march and tell people go out and play and become playful anarchist you know against <laughs> everything that's not what it's about it's it's about um using play as a tool to enhance your work basically right uh it, it's not about you know playing every day constantly i mean we have nerf guns laying around in our office but it doesn't mean that we shoot at each other constantly every day and every hour it, it means that when somebody gets frustrated they will load a gun and shoot at you and then a war in 10 minutes 15 minutes will erupt and then it's over right but we'll laugh we will have fun and somebody will you know, throw themselves under the table and when they're under the table, they will suddenly realize that the project they're working on, oh my God, you know, I'm sitting here under the table and all the cords are hanging down. Maybe this is just the idea that I'm needing for a project because I put myself in a situation where I saw things from a different perspective. Right. So the whole, the, the idea of using play as a tool is that you need to use it in the level of your profession you can't just you know i mean we also have a whole chapter where we're talking about forced plays is it's not something that's good and not nothing we we, we tell people to do at all i mean you know everybody has been at a kickoff or anything like that where you're getting forced into play with your co-workers but you hate it yeah because it's not play in the sense of level where with your co-workers 
you consider as play. This is just some forced play that you're, oh, it's a team building thing, but it's not. It's not a team building effort. It's something that the CEO wants you to do so he can see that you're working together. It's nothing else. It's like a, you know, a play for you. I was actually thinking, thinking about that when I came across the chapter in the book that I recall you referred to to uh, giving people the choice and having voluntary things they can do, as in nothing being forced. And I totally agree about that. Um, where, where's the line between going out of your comfort zone to perhaps try new things and learn from those things and then bring them back into your comfort zone and then kind of only remaining within that comfort zone? And I don't know, is there kind of a danger in remaining within that zone if you're not being in some sense pushed in some sense challenged perhaps mentally yeah i mean uh, i mean all people have their own level of of their comfort zone of course and that means that they have their own level of what play means for them i mean uh, play for you and play for me it's totally two different things absolutely yeah. so defining play is the difficult thing that everybody has a hard time to defining of course yeah but it, i think it's all about it has to be a step out of your comfort zone for it to be the explorable level of you, you know, living and trying out life in a new way. Right. And and by doing it playful or in a playful environment, uh, it will make you of a more not out there in an uncomfortable zone. It will probably make you in a more little bit of a comfortable zone of you stepping out of your own levels of everything you know right so i, I think that um yeah i think you, you need to find out if it's a company if a small company or big large company you need to find your level of of playfulness and on also you know you need to step out of your comfort zone and try out new things and that is also the 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 exploration and, and experience of trying out new things in a playful way that that's gonna make you learn and also, you know, open your mind for new things. I remember coming across something in the book that there was a correlation between sex and being playful. Exactly. And I found that quite interesting because that's perhaps a physical manifestation of a mental state or of a mental playfulness. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, and that is a great thought because um, play is... is um, it doesn't have to be a, a physical thing. Right. And play, you know, it could be yourself, uh, you know, understand what I'm, what I'm trying to say. Play could be something totally mental. Yeah. That you put yourself in a uncomfortable, you know, in your comfort zone, but you put yourself in an uncomfortable situation mentally uh, where you're basically, okay, I'm, I'm doing this presentation here but uh, what if i would start telling the you know something totally different if you just put yourself mentally in that state uh playing with yourself in your mind um you know maybe you will learn something about yourself so for for me i mean i don't know i've been uh, you know on and off uh, throughout my life i've been doing meditation and that is somewhat of you know putting your mind in, in a certain state of uh, of uh, you know experiencing you know, your thoughts. What happens when you just start stop thinking of a certain thing? Just try and 
with your mind to stop thinking. And, um, and that is somewhat of a unphysical experience of you, you know, exploiting, exploiting out, uh, with your mind basically. Right. So, so yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be physical. It, is it a, a state of mind? Uh, the playfulness? I would say so. For me, it is, I think. Right. Uh, and that also defines when you're playing and when you're uh, somewhat of working in the sense, you know, when you're, uh, I, I wouldn't say work, I would say being productive, you know, um, doing something, uh, When if you have a, have to write a paper, you know, you could write the paper, you can write the play, paper playful, and that's the integration between them, I think. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, interesting, interesting. There are a lot of case examples in the in the book yeah. about perhaps places, organizations, even physical spaces. You you reference the Lego house, for example, where exactly. there's this kind of architecture, design, and interior, and physical space has an effect on people, clients, visitors, and whatever. What what are some things that, or perhaps what are some cases that really stuck to your mind when you were writing the book as good? progressive examples where this kind of manifestation of play is is a real thing yeah i mean uh, of course uh, when we were writing the book we you know we had to bring up, up examples of what's going on and, and we thought that the big jacke ingelsen group uh, the architecture firm from denmark that uh, their way of um, attacking a architectural problem or an assignment is a brilliant way of of how you integrate play into creating something uh, you know physical basically like a, a building and the Lego house of course of Lego it it's uh, play in a in a great physical form of course also again uh, and their new house there and and just how the the philosophy and concept they had behind it it triggered us totally and we we thought that. Everything we're trying to say with the book and the philosophy around it, it it it, it transforms into this building, and uh, and now actually the building, I, I I what I understand, the building is is complete, and we would love to go there and see it. And uh, I mean, they've used some some interesting things where, in it doesn't matter what room you're in, there's some kind of what of a flow that you can go around in each conference room and come in and out in different buildings, and you can. There's there's some movement and dynamics and flexibility in wherever you are, and um, and that's also something we talk about in the book that there needs to be an acceptance of play in an environment. That if you if you come into a Gucci store, you don't feel you're allowed to play in there, but if you come into um, a kindergarten, there's a scent of atmosphere right away that it's okay to play and paint and you know, and, and try out things. And and that's a little bit of the essence what we're trying to, you know, get at and what they what we think that they have done brilliantly also that the, the the space and volume that you create in architecture needs to be allowing somewhat within materials, colors and in you know, light and volume and everything, so you get the sense of it's okay to interact and play in here yeah yeah and and that and that i think it's that's something we're doing a lot of research within now actually with with a different architectural firm from denmark called schurman nordgren 
and uh, we're we're together. We have kind of kept on the research from where we ended the book and looked into uh, you know future office building. How would they look? I mean, how would we live and uh, work in the future? And um, and that is very very interesting. Something we're we're looking into right now, actually. Right, and 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 kind of good segue into that is the Andrew Smart. Uh, interview that yeah. you guys included in the book which i also found very fascinating and had to do a yeah. lot with the future of of, of work and of uh, of labor the impact of automation and robots uh yeah. both on on human on, hu- on human subjects and then perhaps also physical spaces um how do you see that developing if you think about 10 years from now on and we'll have different interactions between subjects and objects in the shared space that we probably can't even fathom right now how do you see yeah. the playfulness translating into that time, into 10 years from today, 15 years from today? Yeah, I mean, I, like the study, Andrew Smart, what he's talking about, you know, that's, that's about, uh, you know, he, he's saying uh, that, uh, you know, artificial intelligence or robot, they need to try acid before they can become somewhat something we can work with, you know? Yeah. And we're already there, I think, you know, with a lot of... Uh, sensors beacon bluetooth everything measuring you know collecting big data um we're not far ahead where we're basically i think we're gonna get to a point where uh combining big data where you can analyze and see what's coming up i mean look at the the tesla car that can predict uh accident in front of you i mean that's somewhat of you know analytically looking forward into the future what's coming mm-hmm. before it even happened and i think with with uh, ai and play i think i would put that into an innovation perspective also that um you know we could use you know artificial intelligence to um involve and develop new products services and everything in the future by using a playful method, you know, letting artificial intelligence explore and try out things. Right. Uh, and then, new, I mean, we know that we put uh, two different things together and create a new product, you know, byproducts come out of it. Sure. And, and that's how a lot of innovations and, uh, and new products come up, of course, you know. And I think probably in the future we'll be used AI to, uh, to create new products and services. Well then, there we go. That's episode number six, done and dusted. Thanks again to Nicholas for taking the time to join us here on Future Co. And I thank you, listener, for taking the time out of your day as well. Just a reminder, last week we recorded our first video podcast in which Tobias sat down with Fiskar's current CMO, Alexander Matt, to discuss all things branding, marketing, communication, and culture. I strongly urge that you go check that out, take some time over the weekend to go on YouTube and watch two gentlemen chat away. Uh, We'll be back with some more Future Co. content in the near future, but until then, bye-bye.